Hello and welcome to the Aid Station. I'm Chris Robb and excited today to be heading down to Sydney in Australia to meet Chris McCormack, triathlon legend and currently CEO of MANA Sports and Entertainment Group. G'day Macca, great to see you. Good to see you from Sydney. It's not where I would usually be ringing in from, but uh, it's nice to be back in my place of birth. It's lovely. Yeah, interesting down there in the Shire, beautiful part of the world. Uh, it's pretty cold there at the moment. You took your jacket off as we got started. But I guess maybe start by telling a little bit about your background. I'm sure many people watching will know you, but uh, tell us a little bit of the story for those that don't, please. Oh, when I was a lot skinnier, probably about a decade ago, I was a professional triathlete, uh, raced a term professional in 1995, um, won world championships at ITU level and uh, migrated up to Ironman, won the Hawaiian Ironman a couple of times and retired in 2012. Um, to the sheer relief of my wife, who was uh, literally over it by that stage. We had three children and traveling around the world with them was very, very tough. And I moved to Asia to, to head up Tanyapura, which was a big sports um, property in Phuket. And I've been residing in Phuket since then, 2013. And uh, I left uh, Tanyapura after four years as the executive chairman. Um, and we started a, a company called The Mink Group, which was McCormack Incorporated. So not too uh, adventure. I don't have much in in uh what do you call that like creativity but um and that ultimately built the bahrain endurance 13 team we built the triathlon and cycling team for the royal family of bahrain we ended up building super league which is a a, a sports league in the triathlon space and now we're working with uh, the phoenix team uh at the moment which is which is great so yeah been a busy 20 years but that's pretty much all i've been doing <laughs> fantastic mate creating things and growing them and, and having lots of fun doing the stuff that you love and uh, I guess, you know, doing the stuff that you love, albeit currently from, from your house down, uh, down in the Shire, what's life been like? You, you were saying before we started recording that uh, you, you went back to, to Oz, I think you said end of February, and, and you've been there and, uh, and not had a chance to, to go far. What's been going on? Yeah, I came down here in, um, yeah, just the beginning of Feb to, to set up a boat trip with a group of Americans that were coming down here. But we were always anticipating being back in Phuket. My eldest daughter is at boarding school here. So we do spend a lot of time in, in Sydney. So we have a home here. And we'd just gone through the, you know, from December, the, the virus sort of popped up in Asia and I was spending a lot of time at the office in Singapore and anyone who was living in Singapore knew we were very, very aware of the virus, but in, in no way did I ever imagine it would, it would hit the world in the way it has. And literally between February and March, being here in Sydney, I did a couple of trips to, to New Zealand and, and to, to Jakarta. By March, I dragged my family back here from Thailand because I was a bit uneasy. And, and two weeks later, Australia shut down. So we've been locked here ever since. And, and you know, the repercussions of that on, on business has been immediate and massive, I'm sure, as everybody who's, who's in this sports space would, would realise. You know, events around the world were stopped. So for the teams who are running, both cyclists and triathletes, there is no events for them to compete in. For, for a league owner like myself, where we run events around the world and athletes are relying on our events to to compete and participate, those events immediately came to a halt. So it's been, despite being locked down here in Sydney, it, the most difficult thing, it's been probably the busiest I've ever been trying to go through this whole process and, and working at, at obscure hours of the evening because I'm trying to stay in touch with our offices in London. So work for me starts around 6 p.m. at night and I, I finish about 2.33 in the morning. So probably not the healthiest, but it's, uh, you know, it's oftentimes like this, you come out the other side and, and you realize it's the, it's the you know, the the, the the power of the team that you've got working with you so i can only sing praises for the entire team that that, that we have um with super league and in the mana group 
Yeah, and I guess you know you you've been through plenty of of adversity in in your life and and adversity on 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 the courses while you've been uh, participating and you come out the other end. You learn about your stuff. You 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 learn great lessons to move forward. Is there anything particular that you've learned about yourself that you didn't know already from all those lonely hours on the road, being being caught up at home with three kids around you and uh, and spending more time with the family? Well, I've always known my wife's a legend um, because. You know, she's 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 really taken the brunt of of parenting when I was a professional, and then now, and but really getting to understand how difficult that is when you're always around the house, and and how how stable and and easy she does it has been a, a big learning curve for me. But I, I I think I appreciate more in this time, you know, uh, how busy I've been and how much being active and busy and being able to action things on my own terms. And what I mean by that is, you know. Life's pretty good here in Australia at the moment, but not being able to, to move around, not that I want to, but the feeling that I can't is has created, I guess, some mental, you know, I've struggled with that. On some days I'm really upbeat and going, oh, everything's going to be all right. And on other days I sit there and think, oh, what's the point? You know, like, when's this going to end? So I, I, can, I do, you know, I do feel that they're, you know, mentally, the, I guess mental health has, has been a, an issue for many people out of this. But for myself personally, I've learned a lot from that space. I'm relying on, on, on the family and, and relying on and putting a lot of trust in, in my team because usually you're in a room, you're talking with them and you're, you're actioning and solving problems as a group. Sure, we do that on Zoom and, and sure it's the same, but when you feel like you're a little bit disconnected from the problem solving at points and, and this time difference for me has, has made things hard where you, I know in the beginning I was you know, really pushing some of, my, some of my staff, have you done that, have you done that? And they were like, dude, step off, man. Of course I've done it. But I was always there that I never realized a lot of the things. I never never picked up the strengths of a lot of the people that were working in my organization because I was so part of the process. I never really let them let them run free and do what they're doing. So I guess the takeaway for me is to try and stay healthy mentally and, and get through this and 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 just give huge kudos to, to my team that, and, and I guess not apologize, but recognize how, how magnificent they are and, and, and how how marvelous they've been in this situation. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story around that, isn't it? You, you, you sometimes need to step back and, and, and look and let them, let them do their own thing, so to speak. Yeah, and yeah. I guess, you know, so many challenges along the way. You spoke that you've had to close down your Singapore office. Some of your staff in London are furloughed. What, what have some of those challenges been? The whole season's gone, as you already alluded to, but what, what have been some of the biggest challenges and how have you overcome them? I think the big, honestly, the biggest challenge was, I guess it was like a two, the, the world was sort of split in two early in, in February, March. You know, there was, there was what was happening, you know, sure, there was what was happening in Italy, but I felt like the UK where our offices were, they weren't really connected to that. But in Asia, we were very, you know, in Singapore, it was masks. It was very, you know, everyone was very aware of the virus. And, and I was having these early conversations where we were, the Singapore office was talking to the London office going, hey, what are we putting in place for COVID? What are we doing? And a lot of the, the London office was like, what's COVID? What are you worried about? It's a, you know, so there was a big disconnect there. So we were sort of heading in one direction in the Asian offices to, to truly prepare for the, for the pandemic to some degree. And, and we were getting criticised, I guess, by the London office at that point that we were being overly cautious and worrying about things we shouldn't worry about. And then that literally changed, like in hindsight, you know, it's, it, was, it changed over a six-week period. But when you're living through that six weeks, that disconnect was, was very, very tough. And, and ultimately, it, it, we, we made a decision. The Singapore office was a smaller office, and, and two, of the, two of our people working in the Singapore office were from the UK, so they moved home. They wanted to be back in the UK, and we made the decision to close down the Singapore office until, 
until we were looking at bringing events back online in, in 2021, physical events. And uh, we just migrated our entire calendar from 2020, opted to take the year off and, and, and you know, put some people off, which was tough and, and keep as much staff as we possibly could and, and push through the, through the period. I think, you know, we couldn't sit there back and think, oh, poor us, you know, because everybody in, in every industry was going through it. So it was just a matter of, of, of buckling down, looking what we can and can't do, being realistic with our expectations, resetting and rechanging all the goals we had and, and, and not getting, you know, just staying, staying on what we do well is problem solving. And, and there was a new problem, we need to solve it. And, and, and knowing at some point we get out the other side and, and uh, we can push forward then. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of leadership in that, obviously. And, and I always like to talk about leadership on the aid station. You know, one of the things you've done is obviously make those key decisions, which is, which is tough. And, and then moving into you were talking pivoting and maybe an opportunity to talk about some of the, the new initiatives that you've got going. But before that, some, some leadership principles that you might want to share with people that are watching and any particular uh, things that you apply in, in that leadership role that you've applied to this process? I think uh, the big as a, I guess the leader of the organization, I, I think I've probably learned more out of this than, than a lot of my staff, to be quite honest with you. I, I realize that I am a control freak to some degree um, and, and, and giving that autonomy to my staff in a lot of the meetings we're having now and, and taking on the feedback because it's been forced upon me because I'm the isolated one, you know, they're, they're in, they're in the offices or they're at home in London, but I'm the isolated one. So, so, coming back to work in the evening or in the morning's my time when a lot of the work's been delivered and I'm seeing the, the quality of the work where before I was so on top of them and, and realised they probably did a better job on their own than I would have done had I been there with them. I'm probably a little bit of the bottleneck. So from, from a leadership perspective, I think uh, I've taken away that, that I need to, to take a little bit of a step back a bit and, and trust your team, which every leader has to do, it's just to give guidance as, as opposed to, strict rule and not that I was ever that type of guy but but I think it's just been a, a, the ability for me to relax and 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 appreciate that I have great staff we employed them well they're they're committed to the project they are committed to the company they 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 love what we're doing and and that that mix of ingredients within any culture and any staff is a great culture to have in an organization and great cultures get great results regardless of the problem and 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 so from a leadership perspective in that sense it's it's basically I should speak less and and let my team action more and just come in and, and, and give direction where, where it's needed. That's a great realization. And there's not, not, not every leader would put their hand up and acknowledge that. So, so good on you for that, mate. That's a, you know, that's, that's hugely valuable. I'm sure as you go forward. Mate, you've, it's a you've lot, more, done... lot more smarter people than me in my organization. I've realized <laughs> that, that very quickly. <laughs> that's what they say, isn't it? Get, 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 yeah. get many smarter people. The minute you become the smartest person in the room, it's time to change rooms. Yeah, well, I've got a long time before I need to change rooms. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and look, you've, you've, you've done quite a lot of innovation during this time. I've seen a lot of digital stuff, some great content coming out, some new initiatives. Anything that you wanted to quickly share about those? Yeah, I think, I guess, once we realised we had to take away the events and, and we wanted to stay relevant and, and, and content became... We've always been a very content-driven organisation at Super League. And it became a bigger part of what we're doing. So focusing on delivering good content, going back in the archives and, and, and trying to, to, to be more creative and storyboard some better stuff, both digitally and, and where we could um, socially. Um, that was key. And we got a great marketing team that were doing that. And a lot of that content, we've grown our audience substantially at much higher numbers than, than we had had we been de delivering events. Because I think our whole team is focused in that 
space because everyone has to be. And then we, we sort of got onto that esports space. We worked with Zwift and we delivered a lot of esports races with our athletes and we had our own uh, event series. We put up prize money and, and, you know, Will McCloy in Australia, who's our commentator for the series and myself, were getting up at 3 a.m. in the morning and calling these these Zwift cycle races with Alistair Brownlee and, you know, the Olympic champions and Vincent Louis, all these, all these athletes from all over the world. And the athletes responded to that and really liked it because it was a closed league. Um, we got a lot of spectators coming in and we're, we're spectators digitally. We were driving them through our, through our social platforms using Instagram and those things. And, and that gave us the idea of somehow, you know, everyone's this esports is this big, I don't want to get pink, you know, big buzzword at the moment. I'm, I'm not a big fan of esports, to be honest. I, I prefer the real thing. It's like watching cartoons, in my opinion. But I, um, but we realised there was a lot of uptake and a lot of people were engaged in this. And so we've decided we're going to deliver what we call the Super League Arena Games, which is a, we're delivering one event in Rotterdam on August 23 and 24 and one event in Oslo where we have at the 10 best athletes in the world, male and female, coming to a, a swimming pool, all COVID safe and and they'll they'll race in the swimming pool in real terms we'll film that they'll get onto a, a, a bike machine and that'll all be done on an esports platform swift and they'll do the same on a running machine and we're going to try and build a a racing package that people can view and 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 watch which will be very very interesting it's it's wow. it's very much an experimental thing for us but it's going to be very tech driven you know see heart rates power power um you know, talk to athletes while they're competing, you know, bringing coaches into the play where, because when athletes are, are, are on a bike machine and they're not got their head up, they're just driving out as much power as possible. Knowing where they are in a race, we're going to allow that our coaches to come in and coach the athletes while they're on that stationary bike. Just trying different innovative things within the triathlon space, which is what our, what our expertise is and, and see how we go. And the feedback, all the athletes, I can tell from a professional perspective, are dying to race. They're dying to pin a number on. So they are super, super excited about it. And it seems that a lot of the cities are looking for something and ticking that box on, on, on delivering an event that, that has, you know, some, some audience and, and you're able to push it out, but that, that is COVID safe, brings in great athletes and can potentially scale over time as, as certain restrictions open up. I think there's, a, there's an appetite for that. So we figured why not venture down this path? So I'm excited to see how that goes with, with the team. I unfortunately will not be there, whether that's, whether you speak to the team and they say that's a good thing or a bad thing. It sounds great and, and interesting. Again, there's been so many virtual events, but not many of the, of the blend. And, I, and it'd be very interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, it's, it's that mix. It could be the first ever world championships in that space. That's sort of the direction we want to go, where we mix the reality and the, and the, and the virtual, um, which is the only way at the moment you can deliver a triathlon because there's no virtual swimming experience. Yeah, as exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds great. I always love to end with it, something inspirational. You've clearly inspired many, many people, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, probably millions. But what about an inspiring story that's something that's maybe inspired you or something that you've experienced to, to leave people that are watching with, please, Chris? Oh, an inspiring one. In, in what sense? An inspiring one that got me into the sport or just an inspiring story? Anything that's inspiring, inspiring story, yeah. Well, what got you into the sport or what you've seen whilst you've been participating, maybe another, another participant or anything along those lines. Uh, I always tell a story that what, what, cause I try and tell this to a lot of the young guys that are working with us at the moment and why we deliver the events we do and, and why events are important and why, you know, a lot of amateurs may not say why I think professionals are important, why Olympics are important, why, why sport is important in, in, in the culture. And I, I always take myself back to 1984. I was, I was 10 years of age. 
and uh, the Los Angeles Olympics are on television. And uh, an athlete by the name of Sebastian Coe was going for his second Olympic gold medal. He'd had a terrible 1983. And, and in Australia, we have an amazing commentator called Bruce McAvaney. And I was just old enough to start to understand what the Olympics were and, and understand these heroes are on television were the best in a certain field. You're, you know, you're 10 years of age, you're starting to understand that, but you don't quite grasp it. And I watched Sebastian Coe beat Steve Cram this day in a sprint finish, 332.53. He ran in the 1500 to win his second Olympic gold medal, and uh, he put both hands up to the because the to the to the press that was sitting just past the finish line, who the whole world had turned their back on him. Said this guy can never win again. He got criticised for being picked in the British Olympic team because he hadn't had a great 83, despite being incredible in 82 and, and 81, and, and and an Olympic champion in 1980. And, you know, he's the man. He's now head of the IAAF, but and I I recall that race happening. I'd never even thought of being a runner. I never even knew what running was, except what I was doing when my older brother was chasing me to bash me up and my father was trying to hit me. And I turned to my dad and said, can you buy me some running shoes? I want to be that. I want to, I want to go to the Olympics as a runner. And, uh, and that's what got me into the sport of, uh, uh, got me into endurance sports, just watching an individual. And I say to people, what's inspiring about being a champion or, or is the influence you can have without realizing you're having an influence and, and why race directors and events directors and, and all these people are important is because you change people's lives. And had I not watched that single event, the Olympic games, which we all like to criticize the Olympics and sure it does things right and wrong, but had I not sat there as a kid and watched that, I would never have had the life I had. I don't know where I would be. And, and it was, it's that inspiration that of a man who I now have met multiple times and I've told him that story myself. Um, I've commentated, I know the event inside out. If you make me call the 1984, uh, 1500 meters, I can commentate the whole thing. And it's, uh, and, and that's, it, you know, it's an inspiring story for me because uh, as I said, an individual I never met, never knew could have that much influence on a, on a young person is, 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 is noble and massive. And that's what continually drives me in, in, in the sports space is the potential change that sport can bring. And, and yeah, sure, we're going through this difficult time with COVID and, uh, but, What's on the other side of this could be you know, amazing and, and young kids right now, my son's one of them, is an eight-year-old boy. He may come out the other side of this and, and go to his first event that, you know, that he remembers at that, that age when you start noticing things and, and it could change his life. And that's why, you know, it's inspiring and that's why I do what I do. And that's why I'm, I'm looking forward to, to all of us in this space, in the, in the event space and the sports space of continually pushing forward, fighting for what we, we believe in and what we love and, and coming out the other side and doing amazing things. No, that's it's just a great way to end and and you know you're a champion at that i've experienced it firsthand my little five-year-old boy did your event down here in bali and uh, you know he still talks about it still wears the shirt and and i remember you so clearly giving your time to those young people and there's two people who stand out that i've seen robbie McEwen's another one you know robbie used to work on my cycling event and you know robbie would be there for hours afterwards signing autographs and posing for photos and this amazing ability that we have in our industry to change people's lives is so powerful. I have no doubt that, that much more of it's going to come. Always great to talk. Okay. We could talk for, for, for hours more. Thanks so much for making the time. Uh, all Cheers. the very best coming forward and looking forward to seeing you in person again, Maka. Thanks so much. Cheers, Chris. Thanks, mate.